morning. Welcome back to the ENC Leadership Podcast. And we will be continuing and almost concluding our series, Leading in Anxious Times. I've been very encouraged by the feedback I've gotten from people. And uh, um, I'd love to hear uh, if you have questions as well. We'll tell you at the end how you can do that. We'll have a special question and answer episode next week for people who are going through that. But for today, let's finish the the pillars that we've been talking about. So in the second week, we talked about the leader's emotions. And we said, don't deny your emotions. Don't be driven by them. Instead, bring them to God. And, um, you know, use His Word and be guided by His Holy Spirit to know how to respond uh, to what your emotions are telling you. Secondly, we talked about the leader's responsibility. We said, I'm not responsible for other people's actions. I'm responsible for my own actions. But we are connected to one another and I will stay connected to you even though I don't let you control me and I don't and I stop trying to control you and we said last week that that's the trickiest part that the being responsible for your actions um, and not controlling other people's actions can tend to lead if you if you take just those two it can tend to lead to us just separating and distancing from one, one another you go over there I'll go over here but that's not how God called us to be, and that's not how God designed people to be. We are connected to one another. What one person does affects another person. And that's why we're going to talk about that today. The leader's relationships. The leader's relationships. And see, a leader needs to work through relationships because leadership is all about our connection with other people. And that's the hard part about it. The hard part is... When there's no problems, great, we can stay connected. But the moment there's a difference in opinion, there's a, a, um, a someone doesn't deliver what they're supposed to do, someone's past issues or present issues show up, the moment someone's character is not is not um, 100% okay, well, whose is, then we begin to feel the anxiety. And the anxiety shows up in our relationships. That's where we see it. Sure, there's manifestations on our own, but honestly, if we really want to see how anxious we are, because we could live in deception about how good we are being, our anxiety really shows up in our relationships. And when it happens, when we're anxious, or, or what happens is, I like the definition that Seth gave, the world begins to constrict around us. The world begins to, to, to shrink. And the issue that, that we're, that's in front of us becomes the only issue in our life and the options and the possibilities just begin to diminish and there's only one way forward, even though it's, 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 it's not a good way forward. If we can see this in our, in our lives, Seth mentioned in our interview uh, where he said, if you think about the most common arguments or fights or, or, or conflicts you have with your team, in your family, uh, with your friends, they often have very predictable, almost scripted patterns, right? Someone says this, the other person's going to say this. And it's almost like a sitcom, you know? It's so predictable. We all know what's going to happen. And yet it happens. And we feel powerless to change it. Maybe it's in your family, you know? Your, your parents are going to say something. Then one sibling's going to say this. Then you're going to side with your parents. And then that, that sibling's going to be mad at you. You can even predict how long it will last. You can even predict like, yeah, this is going to be three days of us not talking to each other, three days of awkward silence around the, the meals because we've seen this happen before. Um, 
maybe you've seen this in in in, in your church relationships you know you want the person you're going to correct you're going to correct them they're, they're not going to like it they're going to distance themselves from you and it feels like oh well, this is just the way we are but this time and hopefully with this insight and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to choose a different ending. We will be able to choose a different outcome, at least for our side. And you'll be surprised to see that when you choose a different response for your side, it changes the dynamic of the whole relationship. And it even frees up the other person to respond in a more Christ-like, Spirit-led way. What, what happens is we're going to slow down. You know, in, in video games, there's this um, uh, effect, uh, like a bullet time effect. And I first saw this in Max Payne. Um, I've also seen this in the Star Wars first-person shooters. Uh, Skyrim has this. Fallout has this. Where you slow down time so that all the other characters and objects in the game world are moving much slower, but you are moving at a normal speed. So in effect, they're slower, you're faster. Think... Uh, Quicksilver in, in uh, X-Men Days of Future Past. So allowing you to control your character more and to respond differently while the rest of the world is moving on their predetermined paths. And what that happens is you can turn a loss into a victory. You can accomplish a lot of significant things because now time is moving slower for you. You can choose a better outcome. This is kind of like that. Slow down the moment. Be honest with God about how you feel knowing that you will neither deny nor be driven by your emotions, resist the temptation to control and to be controlled, cast your anxieties to God as you believe His word, as you believe the gospel, time slows down, your options are multiplied, creativity, insight, wisdom, empathy, compassion, love, hope, all of these things are now unlocked and now possible and the conversation can take a different turn. Instead of responding in predictable ways where you 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 um uh, snap at them or or even or even try to control them with a bible verse try to control them with an insight when you realize wait this person doesn't want my input this person doesn't want to listen what am i doing trying to control them i'm just going to uh, talk to them like a human being not a problem to be solved i know this sounds almost uh idealistic and and almost like really okay um but here's the thing if we can see this happening, some of you, the next time this drama plays out, this conflict, this fight plays out, it's still going to happen. But in the moment that it's happening, you're going to see it happening. You're going to be like, oh, there it is. There it is. Okay, now I know what I do. I always make this statement and they always make that statement. And when they make that statement, I feel like I have no other choice but to reply with this. And then when you see it happening... You can choose a different thing, a different way to respond next time. In order to see that, we have to see what we're looking for. And in the book, The Leader's Journey, which is what I've been referring to this whole time, they point out four ways anxiety manifests in our relationships. Remember, when we look at these things, that the issue here is anxiety, not those things alone, not the symptoms. These are symptoms. And very often, we're tempted to deal with the symptoms, but that doesn't fix things. We need to look for these symptoms, find the anxiety that's at the root of them, see our part to play, because it's not just the other person's anxiety, it's our anxiety. Then we can ask ourselves, okay, Lord, how can I respond differently? How does trusting you 
and believing your gospel give me a new set of responses whenever I feel this anxiety. You change your position, you change your part to play in the drama, the other person will change as well. As we give these different symptoms of anxiety in relationships, maybe you can even ask yourself, which of these am I more prone to doing? I know which one is mine. <laughs> um, so the four symptoms, this is in chapter four of the leader's journey. The first one is conflict. Conflict is one of the most obvious symptoms of anxiety in a living system, they say. And this doesn't mean all kinds of conflict because, you know, disagreements, difference of opinion, um, challenges to ideas, this is a normal part of relationships. This doesn't mean that anytime someone says something contradictory to somebody else, there's already anxiety. The hallmark of conflict in an anxiety-riddled system is that it's, it has this all-or-nothing thinking. This all-or-nothing thinking that seems like this is the only issue and my way of resolving it is the only way it could be resolved. If we resolve it this way, then we can still be friends. If we don't resolve it this way, then I don't know what will happen. I don't know if we can even still be friends. I don't know if I'm... And maybe if we don't resolve it the way, to my satisfaction, I'm justified in you know all kinds of other behavior against you. Where is that conflict showing up? And how is that a fruit of your anxiety? I'll give you an example. Very often for me with, with my marriage, uh, um, a lot of the fights that happen between me and Carla, it's, it's really not the issue itself. It's just there's anxiety that's produced. If you were listening to our podcast a few weeks ago, there was this fight that we had or this argument that we had because of how, you know, um, how I felt about some words she said to me when, when we just woke up. And, uh, but thankfully, thanks to the system, I, I paused. And instead of responding to her and saying, you are like this, you are like that, you speak this way or that way, I stopped and asked myself, why do, why do I feel so bad about this? All she meant was, I think it was something about plugging something or not plugging something. So the issue is not that big, but in my anxiety, in my irritation, the fact that it challenged my ego, the fact that it um, um, came at a terrible time for me, only made this issue bigger. And so when I s s sat back and thought and listened, is this really that big a deal? Not really. Okay, we can let this go. We can let this go. See, when we... What happens very often is we think that conflict itself is the problem. And so we deal with conflict. We just want everyone to be calm. We just want everyone to be quiet. We just want people to separate ways because that's the only way to stop the conflict from happening. See, what's going to happen there is if we eliminate the conflict, this is a quote from the book, if we eliminate the conflict without dealing with the anxiety that produces the conflict, the symptom is sure to recycle itself and show up in one of the other forms that we see here. So that's conflict. It's the most common thing to see, and yet don't think that that's the only problem. We need to look at the root of what's going on. If we don't deal with the root, then either the conflict will re-escalate, or it will fall into this familiar pattern of the other symptom of anxiety in relationships, which is distancing. Distancing. Conflict happens when, when we can't stand each other and when it's not resolved well, what we do is we withdraw emotionally, keeping the relationships peaceful but superficial. That's what the book says. 
peaceful but superficial. I like that. I I have a lot of relationships in my lifetime that can be described that way, where I've pulled back from loving this person, from being close to this person, because not because God told me to, not because the other person doesn't want to, but because I'm just tired of having to deal with that person. See, the God describes in the Bible all kinds of commands for a community of intense relationships, for us to share life with one another, especially as believers, which re- requires us to love one another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another. And that's why you can see when there's too much anxiety in the system and they can't conflict, they can't resolve the conflict well, what ends up happening is distancing. We step back. The, the book has this quote, a congregation in which people refuse to interact at a more than superficial level is an anxious system. Where do you have that? Relationships that God's put in your life that you know are supposed to be there for a reason, but you're pulling back because you can't handle the anxiety it produces. You know, I can't, I don't know when I'll offend you, and I don't know when you'll offend me, so let's just not be friends. See, that's not a reason that's given from a from the direction of God. That's a reason given from anxiety. Saying, well, I can't handle you, so I'm just going to step back. Another good quote, distant relationships in an emotional system are as much a symptom of increasing anxiety as is intense conflict. It's both. Where are you distancing now? Where are you pulling back from this person? And it's not from God. Sure, there are times that seasons move on and people change and maybe we used to hang out a lot and now we don't. But we know that we know the difference between some of those being anxiety-filled and some of those are just natural progressions of life. You know, you want to know the difference? Here's the difference. If you see that person again, so I've got friends like that, right? I've got friends who are aren't in my life right now, but it's not because of any problem on my part or on their part. They just we just don't see each other that often. But when we see each other again, we can pick up right where we left off. On the other hand, you might have people in your life who it's not led by God, this this um distancing. And so on the surface we'll rationalize, we'll tell ourselves, no, we we really just don't have time to see each other. But when one of you makes time and the other one isn't as open to it, there's more beneath the surface. First symptom is conflict. The second symptom is distancing. The third symptom is similar to something we discussed last week, the overfunctioning and underfunctioning. Overfunctioning and underfunctioning. All that means is when there's anxiety, when one person isn't delivering, the other person will now lift up their ability and take too much responsibility, take responsibility for the other person's life, and the other person will let them do it. And then the bystanders in the relationship will allow it or even encouraging it. So the quote from the book says, Overfunctioning, underfunctioning exchange is about someone in the system taking on too much responsibility for others and others allowing or even encouraging them to do so. I'm guessing if uh, you, you know, you're, you're a leader here, you, you might be able to identify underfunctioning in yourself, but you have to be able to identify overfunctioning as well. Are you trying to control for other people? And so you're chasing them down to read their Bible, to go to church, to attend online virtual services, you know, to, to, to stop sinning, to, 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 to make right decisions. 
And the other person, you notice you, you're becoming frustrated because the more you chase them down, the more reluctant or slow or, or, or um, passive they seem to become. Because what's happening is the anxiety is driving us and we're throwing insight at them and we're throwing knowledge at them and we're throwing good behavior at them, but we're not seeing the anxiety in ourselves that's driving all of this. What are you doing to keep them in that place? We have to let them take responsibility for their own actions. That is an act of love. And to stay connected even when that's happening. Fourth symptom is projection. Fourth symptom is projection. We, what happens is when there's an anxiety between you and me and we can't handle it, we will project it onto another person or just one part of the system to say, oh, it's, it's because of, of that person. It's, it's far easier to, to say that, oh, okay, this pastor is the problem. This president is the problem. Uh, this family member is the problem. And what that does is it, it treats both of us in the moment, but it's really not going to solve the issue. Because what we'll want to do at that point is take that person out. But really, we have to be honest that, no, you know what? It's really an anxiety within me. Many of us are anxious at this time. And we're anxious, you know, because of the pandemic, rightfully so. We're anxious because of all the uncertainty. We're anxious because of all the, the problems and the, and the terrible responses we see from people. And then, you know, the media allows us to see even like all kinds of failures in the parts of leaders, all, all kinds of hypocrisies. And so it bothers us. That's true. That's all valid. Okay? But it's not the only issue. And a big part of the, the anger, the all-or-nothingness that we project and we feel in ourselves is us projecting our inner anxieties onto one external reality. And so we're saying, we need to deal with this. We need to deal with this in, in our church. We need to deal with this in the government. We need to deal with this in my family. We need to deal with this in the world. But are we as honest about what's happening inside of us? Are we as honest about that? And I'm not saying we don't need to deal with those. We will. And the best way to do that is coming from a place of health where we start first. We'd say, Lord, I'm anxious. I'm worried. How can I lean into you? How can I believe you and trust you? And then when we do that, the rest of whatever God's calling us to do can follow. So these are four symptoms of anxiety in relationships. Conflict, distancing, over, under, functioning, and a projection onto a third person. Now, let's give this a spin, okay? Let's see how, the, let me give some case studies, some test runs, and we'll see how we can respond differently. These are common cases that we have that honestly, um, like I said in the beginning, they're like a script, you know? When these things happen, it's almost like, oh, I'm gonna fight you, you're gonna fight me, we're gonna be awkward, we'll have conflict, or I will distance, or I will over and under function, or we will project to somebody else. But now we can respond differently. Let's give a few examples. Um, 
you, the over-functioning member of the family or the team. That's example number one. You uh, um, want to do everything yourself. Your whole family is irresponsible. And so now you have to pick up from them. Before, you would have thought, well, you know, I, I'm the responsible. You've even taken pride in that, but it's produced negative fruit in your life, uh, workaholism, uh, a critical spirit, being judgmental, and it's made your relationships awkward and not joyful because it's now a working relationship, not a, a celebrating one also. What do we do? Now that we know that this is a symptom of, symptom of anxiety, we can choose a different response. We need to acknowledge what we're doing to make this keep happening. The reason why people are under-functioning is because you keep over-functioning for them. Those are questions to ask yourself. Why am I doing this? Is God telling me to do this? Am I doing this out of faith in God because He told me to do this and I'm going to do this? Or am I doing this out of fear that if I don't, the world falls apart? And then I realize, well, I'm not trusting God if you'll remember in the interview with Seth, I, I gave my confession for why I overfunction. It's because I'm afraid to receive from people. I feel like if you give me something, I need to give something back to you of equal or greater value. And Seth was kind enough to compare me to Dwight and Andy from, from the office. <laughs> and see, when I articulate it that way, here we go, leaders' emotions, the, be honest with God. When I articulate it that way, Lord God, I just feel like this is so awkward to receive this. Then I bring it to the gospel. I take that feeling and compare it to the gospel. Wow. It's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is all about receiving. It's all about receiving from God. If I can't receive freely, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm doomed. My entire existence is, is based on the fact that I need to receive freely from God and freely receiving I can now freely give. See, now that I see that dynamic in me, the next time the anxiety pops up to overfunction, I say, wait, I feel it again. And I've met this feeling before. I've known it most of my life. What does the gospel say? What's a different response now that the gospel opens up to me? You know what I can, the different response for me has been? Receiving it, saying thank you, and enjoying it. And thanking God for that person. Thanking God for putting people in my life to cover for me when I'm weak. You know what's surprising? I was afraid when I would do that that my wife or 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 my teammates would would be like, "Oh, what a failure you are! What a terrible leader you are!" Not really. Never happened. Every time I've admitted to weakness, every time I've admitted to needing help, every time I've asked for an extension to friends and family, they've been like, "You know what? Yeah, go ahead, take the time." And so here I am thinking, "What did I? What have I been doing all of my life? Burning both ends." Of the, of the candle and for nothing when there's people in my life who will understand thank God for the gospel that's case study number one Let, let's do a few more uh, a toxic friend who always maligns you mistreats you manipulates you and ignores you now this is easy to go into projection right to be like well they always do that that person is so wrong 
That and they could be. We're not saying they aren't, but we can't control that. But we can look at ourselves and say, what part am I playing in this? Because what makes it toxic isn't just what they do. It's what we do with what they do. It's how we handle what they do to us. And so we stop and ask ourselves, Lord, what are you telling me to do? This person said I'm worthless. This person said I'm I'm dumb or okay. But God doesn't say that to me. And then we realize that's not true. So this person must be coming from a place of pain to be saying these things. And now we can actually even have compassion on them and reach out if, if they want to take it or or or, or 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 if God's telling us to, to be distant at this time, go ahead. Maybe some of you need to ask yourself, why are you giving them that much control over your life? Be honest to God with that feeling. Lord, I'm afraid I won't have any friends anymore if I don't let them keep treating me this way. Well, that's not true, is it? God's got you. You don't need to settle for for those kinds of relationships that do that. It's not good for you and it's not good for your friend. They're performing, they're behaving in a subhuman way when they do that. Not a subredeemed human way. It's all too human. We can change that. Example number three. Um, a person accuses you, you know, and tells you, you should do this, you should do that. They're trying to control you. You know, maybe it's 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 your parents who who think that every time you're on online, you're not really working or you're not really uh, having a small group that you're playing video games or something. And so they come in and they say, you should do this, you should do that. Well, step back, pause. It isn't a, an automatic black and white of, I should do this and give in to them and tell, give them everything they want or no, I should break from them and fight them for even trying to suggest anything. Pause. Where are they coming from? Is this really what God wants me to do? Are they adamant because of anxiety in them? Maybe it's not just about the issue. How can I minister to that anxiety without necessarily being deviated from the mission God's put me on? See, these moves aren't obvious to us. While we're anxious as well, but when we cast our anxieties to God, they begin to rise to the top. Before, every time I, when I lived at home, every time my parents, or particularly my mom, would say stuff to me that would drive me nuts like that, I would get defensive, I would become distant, so it was conflict, distance, conflict, distance. But now, thankfully, I realize, you know what? I love my mom. I don't need to do everything she says, but I love her. And I can tell her that, and uh, she can respond however she wants to that. See, I'm not saying that do this as a technique. If you just say that as a technique, mom, papa, I love you, it, it, it doesn't show up because it's still rooted in anxiety. Let's do a few more. Someone accuses you of doing something wrong. Someone comes at you basically and says, you did this to me. You should have done better than this. You should be doing this by now. What do we do? Anxiety makes us want to defend ourselves. Or to instant apology. I'm so sorry. That's under-functioning and distancing yourself. See, both of these responses, conflict and distance, are coming from the same place, anxiety. 
when we're non-anxious, when we realize that, you know what, God loves me, I'm forgiven by the blood of Jesus, whatever this is, I don't even know what this is yet, you know what the non-anxious response could be? Lean in. Be curious. Wow, this sounds like a serious issue. Help, please help me understand how, how this is affecting you. It's not defensiveness. It's not an instant apology. It's seeking to understand. And now by leaning in, you've slowed down time. You've delayed the decision. You can listen to it and realize, oh, wow, yeah, he's, he's right, she's right. I, that was terrible. I am so sorry for that. Now your apology will be better received because it's not an instant deflecting apology. Or maybe you'll realize, no, I didn't do that. Or there was nothing wrong with me doing that. And this is a person trying to manipulate you, maybe not intentionally, but because of their own anxiety. And so you can point that out, but because you leaned in first and you understood first, you can say, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry uh, for what, how that's affecting you, but that wasn't me or that wasn't what was happening there. And because you sought to understand first, there's a higher likelihood that that person will be willing to understand as well. This is getting long, but I hope these examples are helping you. Let me end with this uh, sentence, and you'll see this in this quote in the ENC Leaders Facebook group if you want to capture it, because it's pretty long. But this basically summarizes the entire um, episode and probably the last three episodes as well. When any key member of an emotional system can control his own emotional reactiveness and ac accurately observe the functioning of the system and his part in it, and he can avoid counterattacking when he is provoked. I I'm saying he because that's the, the quote, but you know, obviously he or she. And when he can maintain an active relationship with the other key members without withdrawing or becoming silent, the entire system will change in a series of predictable steps. Let me read it again without stopping. When any key member of an emotional system can control his own emotional reactiveness and accurately observe the functioning of the system and his part in it, and he can avoid counterattacking when he is provoked, and when he can maintain an active relationship with the other key members without withdrawing or becoming silent, the entire system will change in a series of predictable steps. Wow! First step there is controlling our own emotional reactiveness, what I'm responsible for. The second step is observing the system, time slowing down, and we see the drama playing out. Here we go again. He's going to say that. She's going to say that. Up oh, here's my part. I'm going to snap. Now everybody's angry. And maybe that's all you can see for now. But if you can see it, that's a huge step forward because next time you'll be able to do something else. So not only do you control your reactiveness, not only do you observe other people, but you maintain a relationship with the other key members without withdrawing, without becoming silent, without distancing. Guess what happens? The entire system will change in a series of predictable steps. Wow! If it was predictable before that you, could, that you would fight, now you're going to have a predictable set of steps that you won't. You'll actually have a different outcome. This might sound like uh, uh, too idealistic, but it will happen. In the discussion groups I've had about this, we've seen it happen. It is so powerful. It's so freeing 
because it allows me to love people genuinely and, and, and not uh, just fight them over things. Try it. The leader's emotions, the leader's responsibilities, and the leader's relationships. So that's it for, for this series. Next week, we're going to release a special Q&A episode. All right, so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions about this. I hope you're discussing this in your uh, discussion groups or leadership groups. If you want to be a part of one, you don't have anybody in your vicinity that you know is going through this, send us a message on ENC Leaders on Facebook. We'll help you. We could help you find one. If you've got questions, send them to ENC Leaders, the Facebook page. You can comment or send us a message or you can uh, send a question to my Instagram for, for this um, podcast at Campus Joe. And send us a message and we'll answer those questions. I need those questions by Monday lunchtime, all right, in order to record this on time. So we're going to compile as much as we can. But by Monday lunchtime, Philippine time, that's when you send us the questions. That's where we're going we're gonna, to like start grouping them at that point. And so next week, we're going to release two episodes, a special Q&A episode for this thing. Then we'll start a new um, episode about the, the changing realities we're in. That's it. Hope you're doing well. Please continue to lead and to trust God as you do so. Be led by God and He will use you to lead other people as well. See ya.